Uh, isn't it great to be saved? I know a lot of people like spring this time of year because uh, the sun starts shining longer. I like that myself. Uh, it starts getting a little bit warmer and we feel like we can get outside and live a little bit. And uh, glad to uh, be coming alive again. Uh, I like uh, all the seasons we have, spring, fall, winter, summer, things I like better about some than others, things I don't like, but um, one of the things I like greatest about spring is, uh, thank you brother, is um, we, uh, we get to celebrate our Savior's resurrection, and that is, that is my greatest joy of springtime, uh, it's better than anything I know. The greatest experience you can ever have is a resurrection salvation experience. If you've never been saved, today's a good day to be saved. Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. We will preach from where we started to last week. Uh, Lord led me different. Colossians chapter 1, I'll try to be mindful of the time. Um, a few things I need to cover this morning, so we'll try to get through this. Best we can. Colossians chapter one. Appreciate the testimonies and everything everyone said. And um, I don't know of another thing on earth that can bring complete strangers together in unity like salvation can. And everybody's celebrating the same thing. Everybody excited about the same thing. Colossians chapter one, verse twenty-four. Is everybody there? We will read down to verse seven in chapter two. Uh, you've heard me say this. Another preacher say this, just because the chapter changes doesn't mean this changed. Uh, the reason we have chapters and verses in the Bible because it would be hard for me to say turn to Colossians about the second paragraph, about halfway down, and you know it would be a little bit of a, a quandary there to try to come up with that. It's another reason I like King James Bibles. Because when I read along, you read along with me, you're not trying to figure out where I'm at, you're trying to figure out where you're at. Amen. Verse 24, chapter 1. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Wherever I may minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among you, Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Notice what that says. doesn't say that every man will be perfect says, we'll present them perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Chapter two, verse one. For I would that he knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order 
and the steadfastness of faith in Christ. As he have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as he have been taught, abounding therein. Father, we thank you again for this day that you've given us. God, we thank you for this time together. Thank you, God, for this season that we are in, Lord, the springtime, God, where the, the flowers are blooming, the trees are budding out. God, it seems like life is coming back to everything in this part of the world that we live in. I know every part of the world is not like that right now, God. Some people are experiencing fall, the opposite of what we are. But God, I thank you that in this part of the world we are experiencing the season that we are. And God, I thank you, Lord, for all your blessings and all your hope and all your love. Father, I pray that you speak to the hearts of each one that's here today. Thank you that we have hope in you. And God, if someone needs a special touch of hope in their heart today, I pray, God, that you provide that to them to say today, Lord, in a way that they need it, through me or someone else. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak through me, use me as you see fit, and touch hearts as needed. We thank you for your word, God, for everything we know about you and everything we know about us comes from your word. In Jesus, your name we pray, amen. Uh, again, just a quick recap uh, for those of you that don't remember. Uh, the book of Colossians was written by Paul on Wednesday nights. We've been talking about the, going through the book of Acts. We've talked about the prison epistles. Does anyone know that Colossians is what is called a prison epistle? That means Paul wrote it when he was in prison in Rome. Does everybody know that? All right. Let me move on. So, uh, he wrote this book. Now, the best we can tell, he never visited Colossians himself. He was never in that little small town. The only reason we even know about the town of Colossians is because of this little book in the Bible. If this wasn't written, we would probably, most people would have never heard of the town of Colossians because it ceased to exist. It no longer exists as a town. Now, that's the only reason we really know about it. It's about 10 miles from Laodicea. Everybody's heard of Laodicea. Most people have, that's for sure. And... And here what is happening is once this church was established the, the Gnostics, the Judaizers, the Jews came in and they started teaching or preaching other things. Their pastor had left um, and it tells us early on in this letter their pastor was Paul acknowledging him and he sent this letter by someone else where their pastor was visiting Paul in Rome probably to get some advice, some wisdom. Remember, they didn't have cell phones back in. Alexander Bell hadn't been born yet. So there was not too many ways to communicate with people, especially if they were distance away. And what had happened is they came in and told the people, well, you don't have the, the real answer. You don't have all the, the full mystery revealed to you. When the Bible here talks about mystery, it's not talking about some Perry Mason novel here. It's talking about unknown things, right. uh, not some Stephen King uh, warped thing. By the way, let me throw this in real quick. I preach this from time to time. I'm not gonna get into it. Christians have no business watching horror movies for the most part. Some of you are smiling. Why, preacher? Because they're demonic. They teach you to fear. The Bible says thou shalt not fear. I gotta quit. I'll get into it uh, off in another rabbit trail here. Anyway, uh, but uh, we, uh, we want to look at what Paul is writing to them 
And the reason some of the language he's using, some of the words he's used is because he's, the Gnostics was telling them, you don't have the full revelation of life. You don't have all the things in Jesus that he's claiming. Paul's wrong, and he tried, they try to discredit him, but every piece of knowledge and wisdom we need comes from God, the Bible, and Jesus Christ. It all is found in him. So in verse 24, and let me say this, this was very sobering for me to read this and study this. Uh, it's, there's times that I preach and I feel very unworthy. There's times that I'm thinking of all people, God, why do you have me here? And there are certain verses in the Bible that I read it and man, it just blisters me. This is one of them. Let me say this real quickly in, in a little bit more way of introduction here and to get you more focused on what I want you to realize. In verse 24, let me read a couple verses. He says, Do now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. What Paul is saying here, he says that basically I'm continuing to be afflicted the way Christ was when he was crucified for you, the church. And he goes on to say, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Now notice he mentions the mystery or even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations but now is made manifest to his saints. And he's talking about the gift of salvation. He's talking about regeneration through Jesus Christ and the, the rebirth of born again by the blood of him and by the quickening of the Holy Spirit and the life-giving power of God. Now when we compare ourselves to where we are as Christians based on how long we are saved, how mature are we? Because this is what Paul is getting at ultimately. And he's asking them, he's trying to get them to see that they need to grow up and mature in the Lord, not listen to all this rhetoric that we have. You know, today we are the most informed generation in the history of the world. But probably the least knowledgeable of God in the history of the world. Because we're so bombarded with all this other information and we, we focus more on other information than we do God and the Bible. Now we take God and sometimes his expectations for us way too lightly. When you are born again, you're bought with the price. You belong to God and he's got some expectations he's placed on you and I and he has every single right to Most of us, if we buy a car and it doesn't operate the way we want it to, if it breaks down more than it runs, what are you going to do with that thing before long? Get rid of it. So I think God's got a right for us to operate the way he expects us to. He bought us. We are his. We don't grow up as much as Christians as we should. And what God expects from us. We don't sacrifice or suffer nowhere near the way the many of the Christians did that gave us what we had that's moved on and even still today. And Christ did for you and I. So God has put major expectations on me, you, and me personally as a pastor and as a preacher, and rightfully so. Paul gave it all that he had, and so did Jesus. Jesus got everything he had. Should not you and I give just a little bit more sometimes than what we do? Hmm. Now the false teachers, as I said, claimed they had all the hidden knowledge and all the smarts, everything they needed 
when we know that it's only found in Christ for this. We see this today. Our society is moving so far away from the church. What's amazing to me is you and I can go out and witness to people today and people actually almost fear us. I've seen a turning away from the church where people, you tell people you go to church, you invite them to church, it's almost like they want to run from you. They shun you. It's like they're to fear you. And our society is teaching that. And people are getting more and more anti-church. And most of the time, they don't even know why. It's just because someone told them that. That has a little bit bigger, louder platform than somebody else that's for it. So let me ask you a question. What are you giving up for him? And how mature are you in Jesus? I could give you a lot of signs of maturity. And as we go through this, I'll try to be brief. You will see some ways that you can judge. Ask yourself, according to the Bible, not according to me, not according to the person sitting beside of you, not your family member, not your friend that's been saved for such and such time, not anything or anyone else, but how mature are you according to what the Bible says? So number one, are we mature in his arrangement? I'm gonna explain to you what I mean here. Let me read on this a little bit more and we'll get a little taste of what I'm talking about. Verse 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The reason he mentions the Gentiles is when it came to the Jews in this day, they would be okay with you until you mention Gentiles. God's plan was to work through the Jews, the gospel to work through them and bless them immensely because of that. And the gospel would be spread to the Gentiles by the Jews if only the Jews would have accepted Jesus. But they rejected him. They didn't want him. So then God turned to the Gentiles and said, fine, the blessing that I will have given you as Jews to spread the gospel, I will give to them. And that is why, that is the, let me tell you this and don't you ever forget this, that is the one single reason why God has blessed America the way he has because whether your public education system teaches you this or not, this country was based and founded on Jesus Christ and him and him alone. We have sent more missionaries out throughout this world than most other countries have. America, in the last 200 years, God has used mightily to help spread the gospel throughout the world. And that is why he has blessed this country. Let me get back to the message. In verse 29, it says, Wherein I also lay striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Now, what the Bible is saying here, Paul is saying, I go to the point of exhaustion the church when I read that when I read what Paul was saying that pastors and preachers ought to do it's a little bit sobering for me and I realize God has so ringed my heart out the last two weeks with these few verses I realize at times I don't do enough I need to do more I need to study more. I need to pray more. I need to witness more. There's more I need to do. But let me go ahead and assure you, he also turns around then and he, and he also gives the church what they need to do. We as a body need to do more. We need to be more mature for Christ. 
The reason I said are we matured for his, in his arrangement? He arranged for the church to function like it does. He gave us uh, the church. Jesus Christ is the church. He sacrificed his life for that. He gave his life entirely for that and he gave us examples to follow over and over and over in his Bible. Time does not allow me to go into it like I need to. But we are to carry on that sacrifice that he gave for you and I going to the point of exhaustion and emptying ourselves of everything we have by his example. Let me ask you a question. How mature are you in seeing to it that this church is feathered, that your Christian life is feathered for Jesus? How mature are you there? Let me give you a test real quick. How important is the church to you? Your attendance is a pretty good example. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. How important is it that you're willing to give up and sacrifice some time and things when we go visiting or door knocking, which we're getting ready to start doing? How important is it that you sacrifice things that needs to be done? Hey, that we need Sunday school teachers. We need volunteers. We need helpers for all kinds of things to be done in this church. Hey, God arranged this thing. I didn't. one he said for I would that he knew what great conflict I have for you and for them that lay it to see you and for as many as not see my face in the flesh the word conflict here means more like striving uh, working and like a, it's, it's kind of like a, a word of racing to an end of a race and you give it everything you've got to get there to finish the course to finish what he's given you to do hey how mature are you in your arrangement of Jesus Christ and the church I've said this before. God has set it up so every person in this building has something to do for him and he's worthy of it. He's deserving of it. Hey, there's nothing more satisfying, nothing more fulfilling than doing for Jesus Christ and fulfilling his obligation that he's got for you, the will of God in your life for him. How fulfilling is that beyond anything you'll ever experience? I gotta hurry. They asked Tom Brady one time after he'd won about five Super Bowls, they said, Tom, wins it enough? He said, never! I'll never win enough because it won't satisfy. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And your, uh, your relationship with him, your uh, maturity in him, number two, let me move on. He said that their hearts might be comforted, been knit together in love. And that all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and the Father and of Christ. What he's telling the people here is that, hey, that these Gnostics have come behind me and they've used these big words. They're trying to entice you into other uh, rules and, and rites and other uh, religions and other things. But let me assure you, the only thing you're going to find is Jesus Christ and all the mystery, all the knowledge, all the wisdom, everything in life comes from him and him alone. Number two, are we mature in his assurance? Notice where it said there in verse two that their hearts might be comforted been knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. 
Do you understand that Jesus Christ is the greatest thing that you'll ever experience on earth and that you'll ever find? Everything is centered around him. This world is centered on Jesus Christ and praising him, thanking him, doing for him, with him, your relationship with him. The Bible is full of this. It's telling you and I that we are to be assured in God saving our soul and taking care of us and he will do what he said he will do. Are you carrying on his sacrifice? Can people see the sacrifice of Jesus in you? Are you assured in what the Bible says? You say, I don't know what the Bible says. Whose fault's that? Folks, I can only feed you so much. You gotta learn to cook a little bit. Even if it is only the microwave or the toaster oven. Now put that as an analogy, learn to read your Bible a little bit. The Bible is full of verses and examples of how we can be assured in him. How he is better than everything. How he can be trusted. And how mature are you in your trust in Jesus Christ? If the world crashes around you tomorrow, somebody turns against you, the bills don't get paid, the car breaks down, whatever it may be, how assured are you that Jesus is still with you? Most of us has never trusted him enough to know. You don't wrestle in prayer with God to try to break him or bend him to your will. You wrestle in prayer to get your heart devoted to him and bend your will to his. We don't fully devote ourselves to real, committed, passionate prayer. If we could be absolutely sure, listen to this, if we could be absolutely sure that our knowledge of God is accurate, then our hearts would be strong. One of the reasons Paul is writing this to these people is because he did not want them to be pulled away, to be steered another direction away from Jesus and away from the truth of God's word. He was trying to get them to see everything you're looking for that I have told you is true and all the mysteries of life are found in Jesus Christ and him alone. So many times I hear people say, what are we here for? I've seen books based on that one title. And everybody's got their answers. I've known people that was not saved the moment they were born again, they say, finally, I understand and realize what life is all about. It's about honoring God. It's about honoring Jesus. It's about giving Him glory. Hey, I'm being born again, so you stand righteous before God and honor and holy before Him in His eyes. And one day, thank God, we'll go home to be with Him where we'll never see another heartbreak, another tear, where there'll never be no more bad news. Thank God I need a home like that. How strong are you in your knowledge of God that somebody can pull you away easily? There's a book out there called The Book of Judas. That's going around. There's another one called the Book of Enoch. It's a religious move and it's gaining people by the day. There's so many religious movements out there and people will assure you what they're telling you is right and accurate. How sure are you about what you believe? If you got in a discussion with an atheist, can you even begin to converse with them or are they just going to eat you up and spit you out? If someone, a homosexual, gets in a discussion with you about why that it's, it's okay to be a homosexual according to the Bible, do you have any defense at all of your knowledge of the Bible? 
Well, my preacher told me it was. They're going to embarrass you. Well, the Bible says it's wrong. Where? Where's it wrong? Folks, I can only feed you so much. How mature are you as a Christian in your assurance of God? Let me take it a little bit step further and I'm trying to hurry. How assured are you that the government is telling you the truth? How assured are you that President 11 or whatever his name is in China, it's 11 in Roman numerals, Z or Xi or whatever he is, will have mercy on you as an American? How assured are you that your house is still standing when you get home? The only person can be sure is Rex because he can look out the window. How assured are you that your health won't fail within a week? How sure are you? How assured are you that your job, your income, your way of life will still be there? Let me give you a quick illustration. I'm going to get on to point three. I know people who no fault of their own has been in accidents that they did not see coming that instantly changed their life in a moment. You say, it won't happen to me. Are you sure? Are you really that sure? I'm not. And I know that she wouldn't care for me saying this. There's a video right now online of a young lady that my wife went to school with. I, didn't, I might have went to, the, she might have been in the seventh grade at best. I don't think so. When I was a senior, I don't, I'm pretty sure she's that much younger than me. Two or three weeks ago, her husband, a healthy man, working every day, working at their house, dropped dead of a heart attack. 45 years old. His name was Jeremy Johnson. His wife, Julie, put a video out on Facebook a few days ago this week, crying on her way home from work, talking about his death, saying, I don't know if I'm sad because I know he's not going to be there when I get home. She's talking about how lonely it is. And everybody that's lost a spouse, I've yet without fail, every one of them I've ever heard said you don't know the loneliness until your spouse dies. Said you don't know what loneliness is. And some of you that's experienced that are shaking your head right now in full assurance of yes. And let me tell you something. Don't you insult somebody that's never been there by saying I understand. You don't understand. You have no clue what they're going through. Don't you insult them by saying just because you're such and such died, it's not the same, folks. Let me move on. I don't mean to berate She put that video out, and in that video, her main goal, she kept saying, I hope you're saved. She said, because one day I'm going to go be where he's at. He can't come to me, but I can be with him one day. And if you're not saved, you don't have that assurance. How assured are you of what you believe right now in Jesus Christ? How assured are you of your salvation? How assured are you of your relationship with Jesus? Do you know him enough to know anything about him, to know what he likes, dislikes, to know if he's pleased, unpleased with what you're doing? If we would only get more assured of Jesus in our hearts, the peace we would have at night when we lay down would be unspeakable and full of glory. Most of us don't know enough about him 
We don't have enough power of God to blow the fuzz off of a peach. Our prayers won't hardly go past the ceiling. Most of us, our prayers, you can think what you want, but when you compare yourself to God right now, how assured are you that God hears your prayers? That's Bible, folks. Do you know what to sin, not to pray? I'm trying to help you and me. Because trust me, this has gutted me. If it guts me, I'm going to gut you. I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm joking, I'm joking. Amber gets on me for saying stuff like that. I don't mean to sound like a smart aleck if I do. I promise I don't. But God did gut me. Are you mature in his assurance? Number three, and I'm trying to hurry. Let me read these last few verses. I want you to try to get this. Verse three says, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything you need to know are hid in God. Who do you think gave people the knowledge and the wisdom they've got? It come from God. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Boy, there's people full of things, slick words and slick phrases to get your attention and turn you away from God. And they'll sound so convincing. Are you grounded enough in the Bible that if someone started debating with you what you believe, that you, you can defend it? That you know what you believe or why you believe it? Hmm. Verse 5, for though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. In other words, he was, he was saying, look, I'm not there, but I'm praying for you. I love you. I'm doing all I can for you. And Paul was there because he couldn't be there. Verse 6, as he have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. That means to live. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as he have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Number three, are you mature and you're abounding? We should be thriving as Christians and as a church, not just surviving. You know, some of us live our life for God like it's a drag sometimes. Some of us act like coming to church is a chore rather than a privilege and an honor. Folks, whether you realize it or not, this is the most exciting thing on earth. The reason it's not is because your heart is somewhere else. Not with God, the way it should be. Not on this. Let me say a couple more things and I'm done. I know I keep saying it, but I'm really going to be done. You and I possess in us the hidden things of God. Do you understand the glory once you're born again that is inside of you? The Bible says that nothing on earth, the trials, the troubles, is not to be compared with the glory that, should be, that shall be revealed in you. It's in you and I now. Holy Spirit, once you're born again, moves inside of you. And if people could only see him, the difference it would make. Well, how do they see him? He's hidden, right? By your actions and my actions by what we say from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh whatever is in your heart is going to come out and people will experience Jesus Christ only through you and I the hidden things of God is what they're going to see he's hidden from the world because the Bible says the eyes of those that are lost are blinded. Their minds are blinded. Their eyes are blinded by Satan. 
me ask you all a question. Let's see how in tune we are. Some of you that's new, I do not expect you to get this answer. You're off the hook. Some of you that's been going here for a while, I fully expect you to. And this is maybe filed on both ways. How many of you know what the slogan of our youth is? Where it came, where it came from? Besides Cody. Does anybody know? What is it? Rooted in Christ. Am I close to being right? I sure hope so. Because I was going to make a big fool out of myself if I wasn't. I was just going to sit down and let you finish preaching. Rooted and built up in him. And established in the faith as he had been taught. Notice, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Most of us, sometimes me included, can abound so much more in other knowledge than we can this and what's in here. Because we're rooted and built up in other things besides the Bible. If you work a job, you should know how to do that job. You're expected to. How much do you know about the Bible? How mature are you in your relationship with Jesus? If things easily offend you, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you're not very mature. If this preacher makes you mad, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you're not very mature. If things I say easily strike you down, you're not very mature. If your neighbor can upset you to the point that you argue with them, you're not very mature. If you have hard feelings against somebody in your life and you're not willing to forgive them, you are very immature as a Christian. Folks, that's Bible. If you want me to prove it to you, meet me after church and I'll gladly sit down and show you because you think I don't struggle with some of these things? Sure I do. But that doesn't make it okay. Not where, nowhere in the Bible can I find a loophole for any sin. I've tried. They're not there. I wanted to hold grudges against people. It ain't there. It teaches the exact opposite. No matter how wrong they do you, you're to forgive. I've noticed every time I preach on forgiveness, I get a lot of questions presented to me from people in this church. And I've wondered if I shouldn't preach on it a whole lot more. How mature are you as a Christian? Can God count on you to do something when he asks you to do it? Or does he have to move on away from you and find somebody else? Because you're too busy. Well, I can't do that. I know, you know something? I didn't think I could pastor and I still don't, but God didn't let me off the hook. I'm still willing to give it my best shot. I can't preach as good as a lot of preachers I know, but I still do the best I can. How mature, how, are you abounding? Are you thriving as a Christian? Or are you just surviving? Some of you, the looks I saw in your face when I started getting on forgiveness there told me a whole lot about a lot of you. Tells me a whole lot. How mature are you as a Christian? When someone talks about God in front of you, does it make you want to fight back? 
Sometimes it does me, but let me go and assure you, God can defend himself, trust me. He does not need me and you to defend him. If he wants to strike him down in a second, he can do it. And he can you, and he can me. God does not need us to fight his battles. He is full well capable, trust me. Sometimes I think we as Christians forget how powerful God is. He does not need your help, and he does not need mine. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask Brother John to come to the piano and to softly play. I'm not doing this because some other preacher did. I'm not doing this because this or that. I'm doing it because I felt led to do it. If John was coming softly play just for a moment, we'll figure out the song in a minute. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. Let me ask you some, some, a couple more questions and, and I'll open up the altar. When I mention some of the things that as I mentioned about how mature of a Christian you are, when I mention if I can easily offend you, if someone has made you mad or hurt you and you won't let it go because you feel justified. I wonder what Jesus thought when the very people that he created and loved better than life nailed him to a cross and he hadn't done a thing to one of them. Not a single thing wrong to anyone. And there they nailed him to a tree. Why? Because of your sins, your sins, your sins, and my sins. And we want to hold on to this earth sometimes, and I'm, this is going to bite, and our wants, our desires, our schedule. Well, I don't have time for church. I don't have time for God. I'm busy. Boy, I bet that honors him, don't it? People talk about how their kids or their parents turn on them. And I know it hurts. I've never experienced that. Don't you think God has a right to get upset when we do him that way all the time? How mature are you as a Christian based on how mature you are as an adult? A lot of us like to think we're a lot more, more of a, <laughs> a lot more of a mature Christian than what we're willing to admit. If what I just preached offended you, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you're not very mature as a Christian. You got some growing up to do. And you know what? So do I. So do I. As a pastor, I got some real growing up to do after I read this. I'm going to ask you to bow your head just for a minute and close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to do a couple things, kind of brave. If you got something in your life that you know that's not supposed to be there, would you just simply slip up your hand and say, Preacher, pray for me. I'm not going to, most of you I know by name, I'm not going to call it. Just simply sit up and preacher, pray for me. One person just admitted they have something in their life that's not supposed to be able to raise their hand. So I'm not trying to be a smart but based on that, every one of you in here are telling me you have nothing in your life that needs to change because nobody raised their hand but one person for me to pray for them. What's that say about you? That says you're up with pride right now. Folks, I'm not trying to be mean. I want God to move in his church until we get this stuff out of our heart and out of our life. He ain't going to. Two people. So let me try this again. If there's something in your life that you know that God is not pleased with, would you just simply slip up your hands and say, Preacher, please remember me. 
That means you're willing to deal with it and get it changed. Amen. Amen. A few more hands going up. I'm not going to ask you to come to this altar and pray if you raise your hand if that's what you're afraid of. I'm simply going to ask you if God has spoken to you, would you come to this altar and pray? Say, God, I know I need to mature as a Christian. There's places in my life that I'm immature. There's things that bother me that you cannot get full glory from because I'm immature. If there's someone in your heart that you can't forgive, someone that you know that probably maybe rightfully wronged you, but you still won't let it go, I'm here to tell you, God will help you with that if you'll only trust him and turn it loose. You'll feel better than you've ever felt. But you've got to turn it over to him. As we stand and John plays this song, why don't you come? More than anything, if you don't know for sure that if you died right now, that you would go to heaven, I invite you to come to this altar and pray. There's people that wants to help you. I'll meet you here and pray with you. More importantly, God will. Is there something there between you and God that you know it's not right? If you died right now, would you go to heaven? Are you sure? I don't care what happened 10 minutes ago, what happened 10 years ago, right now. Right now. Is he calling you? What do you got, John?